Fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? Or do you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. That's right. It's episode 475. I am your host, John Reed. With me, as always, Bo Warmbold. Bo, how are you doing? I'm well, John. And yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty Excellent. good. Uh, and Patrick. Patrick was here. Patrick, did we lose you? No, Pat's still here. Oh, okay. Pat's excited, excited to talk about movies. This movie in particular. No, you're not. I'm really excited. <laughs> I know I am excited, but okay. here's right. my thing. Like if I, I gotta be careful because there's probably going to be a patron out there somewhere that, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. I want to be careful. That's okay. I don't want to. If you don't make them angry about this one, if, if this is their favorite movie, and you don't make a memory, right. then I probably will. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Better me than you. I have I have excellent reasons too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have you can't see him here. I have a I have a special guest here with me today. Um, Toby, the dog, decided to come down here, yeah. but I can't. Toby the uh, dog. Toby the Where's dog Toby is here. The dog? Let's, let's see if I can angle without, the camera without angle messing up all of the, the uh, wires because he won't let me pick him up because he's a little big. Um, I don't know, Toby. Hey, buddy. Hi, bud. I don't know if you can see him or not. There he is. Oh, oh there he is. Look at Hi, buddy. Wanna come up. Oh, look at that. Here. Got some tail wagon oh, action there. You can see the tail wagon. So I think everybody else had gone to sleep. So he was like, well, I'm coming down here with dad. Yeah. Hang out. Maybe dad will give me a treat. I'm not, oh, yeah. I'm not going to, but. Oh. But he does. But you know, you got to give him an A for effort. Yeah, you didn't know, know that a, a pup can dream. Exactly. So. And he's off. Yeah, he heard no treat. And now he's gone. He's like, yeah, <laughs> there it is. Peace. He's, he's, he's just like the human kids. He's like, wait, you're not giving me something. All right, I'm outie. Oh, he's fine. Oh, somebody's shooting fireworks outside. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Well, that's why the dog came downstairs because oh. somebody's shooting fireworks outside. All right. right. Well, that's good. That's Someone's okay. excited. Hey, he's he's uh, he's helping co-host the podcast tonight. He's being super chill. Are you being super chill, buddy? Man, a few words. Not, yes. Yeah, not great for an audio medium. So. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't get frustrated with me, you can. If you don't start growling at me, then you can stay here. I don't care. Yeah, he's okay. All right, looking very stoic down here. There was a party next door on uh, Saturday night. I think their kids had been confirmed or something. I don't know. Okay. But, I mean, it was 
They had a tent out front. They had a DJ starting at four, and he wow. went till eleven. Let me just say, uh, one of those and wild the Catholic bass, parties. The bass was rattling things in my kitchen. Like, yeah, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. About ten, nah, maybe nine thirty. They let off some fireworks. Oh, fun! Yeah, I was not expecting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What the heck? The cats bolt to the other room. Like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. It lit up the sky for like, I don't know, a minute and a half. Oh, man. They must have been really happy he was confirmed. They were very pleased with themselves, is all I know. Yeah, I I can't say living on a small residential street where everything's very close together and there's a lot of trees and everything else, I can't say that I'm a super big fan of fireworks being shot off on my street at any point in time but now that mm-hmm. I'm, now that I'm also a pet owner uh yeah uh, can confirm mm-hmm. not a fan yeah 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 so <laughs> well uh, we do spoil around here we start talking about stuff and if we're talking about a movie that you don't want to know anything about um maybe hit the hit the uh, advance forward button a couple of times, and we'll probably be mm-hmm. done talking about it. Uh, make sure you visit our website, 30podcast.com. You can leave us a rating, a voicemail. You could become a co-executive producer on Patreon over there. we got a bunch of bonus stuff over there, so go check it out. Um, we have it's, it's a lot of fun over there because we've, we've gotten to know all the folks that are over there with us on Patreon, and there's bonus episodes. There's chances to come on the show and, and co-host it with us or tell us what to watch or things like that, so... And we, we appreciate that so much because it does help with the continued um, running and production of the show. That's why we call them the co-executive producers, because they are helping to ensure that we keep this thing going. Um, and so if you are enjoying the show, if you have not joined us over there, um, consider uh, even just, you know, even if it's just like 2 $3 a month, if you're enjoying the show, that's, I mean, that's like the cost of getting a large drink somewhere at a restaurant, so... Um, if you're enjoying the show and you are able to throw two, three dollars a month our way, just as a way of saying thank you and helping out there, awesome. If not, because not everybody can, or you may have other things that you're donating towards, we don't want to take away from uh, anything else that you might be donating towards. If it's a charitable venture or something like that, so um, if that's the case, just tell some friends, like tell other people you know, share it on social media. That's another great way to let more people know about the show. So we have we've been doing this for about seven years now, so we got quite a bit of a, a back catalog. I, I would imagine if somebody enjoys 80s and 90s movies, they're going to find something. So we're not hurting for content in that way. Amen. Uh, all right. Well, our movie this time around is Shortcuts. It's a movie by Robert Altman based on the writings of Raymond Carver. Um, so I think I'll just go ahead and we'll jump right on into uh, the, the way we kind of divide up the show here. We go through some trivia here at the beginning, let you know a little bit about the cast and crew, uh, any kind of little trivia tidbits that we've been able to find, and then we give you the synopsis, play the trailer for you, just to kind of refresh your memory if it's been a while since you've seen this or you haven't seen it at all. We also run through the major moments. We try to kind of divide the movie up into 10-ish moments that should give you a pretty good idea of what the plot of the movie is. Then we kind of go into our thoughts and opinions on it in the deep thoughts segment. And then we finish everything off with three questions at the end. So trivia pursuits. Here we go. October 8th, 93 is when this one came out. Uh, This one is rated R. And before you start thinking, 
eh, maybe my kids could watch this. No. Mm. No. <laughs> it's R. It's R for a reason. It's R that might even, I mean, there are moments that is R that might make a pirate blush. So. Um, yar. Yar, yeah. Um, so if you don't want your kids' uh, timbers shivered, then uh, maybe just have them avoid this one. Uh, runtime is, this may be another reason to have your kids avoid this one. Runtime is three hours and seven minutes, boys and girls. Uh, it's mm. it's a bit of a long movie. Directed by Robert mm-hmm. Altman, who did MASH and Gosford Park. Writers for Robert Altman and Frank Barhit. I think it's Barhit? Barhite? I don't know. Uh, Barhite did Kansas City, and Altman did Popeye, the 1980 Popeye. Uh, I, you could also say writers uh, Raymond Carver because it's based off of nine of his short stories and one poem. Producers were Carrie Brokaw and Scott Bushnell. Brokaw did Closer. Bushnell did Kansas City. Composer was Mark Isham, who did Crash and A River Runs Through It. Cinematographer was Walt Lloyd. He was in The Accidental Tourist. Uh, he did The Accidental Tourist and The Player. Editor was Geraldine Peroni, who did The Player and The Firm. Production company is Fine Line Features. It was it had an estimated budget of ten million, and the box office was twenty one point eight million. Cinema score does not have a score for this one. Flick Metrics gives it a seventy nine percent. This one, I'm going to list off the actors, the characters, and I, I tried to put in a brief description of some of the different characters for this one because there are a lot of stories and a lot of people going on here, so it oh, yeah. is uh, it is easy to get them confused. I mean, we're, we're talking like Game of Thrones level of confusion with the number of characters that are introduced in here. Uh, Andy McDowell played Anne Finnegan. She was Casey's mom. Find out more about Casey here in a little bit. Um, she was in Groundhog Day and Four Weddings and a Funeral. Bruce Davison was Howard Finnegan, Casey's dad. He was an X-Men and longtime companion. Jack Lemon, who died in 2001, played Paul Finnegan. He was Casey's grandpa and one of the fishermen. He was in The Apartment and Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Julianne Moore played Marion Wyman. She was the artist at the cookout. Um, she was in Magnolia and Boogie Nights. Matthew Modine played Dr. Ralph Wyman. He was the husband at the cookout and Casey's doctor and surgeon. He was in Full Metal Jacket and Vision Quest. Anne Archer was Claire Kane. She was the clown and the friend at the cookout. She was in Fatal Attraction and Patriot Games. Fred Ward was Stuart Kane. He was one of the fishermen, and he was the uh, husband of Claire Kane, who was a friend at the cookout. He was in The Right Stuff and Tremors. Jennifer Jason Lee played Lois Kaiser. She was the phone sex mom. She was in The Hateful Eight and Single White Female. Chris Penn, who died in 2006, played Jerry Kaiser. He was uh, Lois's husband. Um, Bill's friend, uh, Bill, who was played by Robert Downey Jr., and he was the pool cleaner. He was in Reservoir Dogs and Footloose. Robert Downey Jr. played Bill Bush. He was the makeup artist. He was in Iron Man and Tropic Thunder. Madeline Stowe played Sherry Shepard. She was Gene's wife. She was in 12 Monkeys and Last of the Mohicans. Tim Robbins played Gene Shepard. He was the cop, and he was uh, having an affair with Betty, who we'll learn about here in just a moment. He was in The Shawshank Redemption and Mystic River. Lily Tomlin played Doreen Piggott. She was in Nashville and I Heart Huckabees. Uh, She was the waitress. She was also the person who hit Casey, the little boy, with her car. Um, Tom Waits plays Earl Piggott. He is Doreen's husband. Um, He was also a a chauffeur. um, And 
He is, I'm, I'm going to blank out here in a second on whose dad he was. Um, I believe he was, oh, where'd she go? Do I not even have her on here? Um, Bill's girlfriend or wife. I don't know if I have her on here. Might have missed her. All right, I'll go find her here in a little bit. Um, but yeah, Tom Waits played that one. He was in Bram Stoker's Dracula and Seven Psychopaths. Frances McDormand played Betty Weathers. She was in Fargo and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. She's the one that police officer Gene is having an affair with. Um, Peter Gallagher is Stormy Weathers, uh, fun name for a TV weatherman. He is the ex-husband of Betty and spends most of the movie tearing up her house. He was in American Beauty and While You Were Sleeping. Annie Ross, who died in 2020, played Tess Trainer. She was the lounge singer. She was in Superman 3 and Throw Mama from the Train. And Lori Singer was Zoe Trainer. She was the daughter of Tess Trainer, the lounge singer. She was the cello player. Uh, she was in Footloose and Warlock. That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people. A lot of people in here. Um, okay, some quick trivia. Not a ton of trivia for this one, but uh, some real quick stuff. So as I said, this is based off of the stories of Raymond Carver, um, a, a fairly well-known American writer. Um, he had his style is sometimes he's referred to as the father of minimalism, um, and his style is, as it sounds, very minimalist. So the idea is he, in his writing, attempts to convey as much as possible with as few details as possible. So a lot of times it's in the things that the characters do or they say that it is either left up to you uh, as the reader to figure out what else is going on here or he just in an economy of language is able to get very complex ideas across um, with very few words. So that's kind of one of the things he's known for. I'll go into a little bit more about him and kind of some of his influences, but the stories, um, and I highly recommend, especially because we're going to wait just a minute to get to my opinions on the movie, but I highly recommend, whether you like the movie or not, that you go check out some of his stories because I, at least my opinion, I think he is an amazing writer. Um, the stories are not long. So if you're somebody that's like, I don't have a ton of time, to go read a whole bunch of stories or read a novel or anything like that. The good news for you is you could probably actually read all nine of these stories and the poem that this movie is based off of in less time than it would take you to watch the movie itself. So uh, most of these stories, I would say most of them are somewhere around the seven to 10 page range per story. So you can, okay. you can read most of these. And actually, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons I enjoy him because there kind of got to be a stretch of time where I do love reading a good novel, but there was also kind of a stretch where I was like, you know what? I also want to just like read something in one sitting. And if I just have a few minutes or if I'm on a lunch break or something like that, I want to just, if I can read something in a 15-minute, 20-minute lunch break, then that's cool too. Um, and there are a lot of times where I, I can read one of his stories and it, I've read it in 10 minutes, but it feels like I've read something that should be much longer, that is much more much more dense than that. So, uh, okay. so the stories this one is based off of are Neighbors. Uh, another one is They're Not Your Husband. Another one is called Vitamins. Another one is called Will You Please Be Quiet, Please. Another one is called So Much Water, So Close to Home. One of the best stories is called A Small Good Thing. 
Another one is called Jerry and Molly and Sam. Another one is called Collectors. Another one is called Tell the Women We're Going. And the poem is called Lemonade. So I, uh, I probably will post those up on social media. I'll post them on our website uh, or in the show notes. So if you want to go check those out, go check them out. Um, you're, uh, we're not a video podcast, so nobody can see this. But uh, if you want to, if you're interested in finding out more, there is the uh, Carver uh, Collected Stories. They have the, uh, you've probably seen these before, the Library of America series. There's the, the black and white books that have the kind of the red, white, and blue band across the front and the author's name usually in kind of a scripty kind of a font uh, and a photo of the author on it. That has pretty much everything, or most everything of his, um, you know, including some hard-to-find stuff. So that is a good one, but you can often find a bunch of his books at used bookstores and places like that. So I would highly recommend you check him out. And later in the show, I also will give you some other recommendations. If you like his stuff, some other people that are similar in writing. Um, there you and, go. And some of those will be people that we've, uh, we've seen some other movies based on people who write similarly to him. Like uh, I'm thinking American Psycho and, uh, you know, some of the other, you know, Bright Lights, Big City, some of those. So um, the only other thing that I've really got here is Annie Ross and Lori Singer. So the lounge singer and the cellist. Um, that entire section has nothing to do with anything Raymond Carver related. That was a, an entirely original set of characters and set of circumstances. That is not something that was was Raymond Carver. So uh, that is that is his and his alone. And uh, the only other thing I've got here is because music is kind of a running theme in this movie. Uh, we have the lounge singer and. You know, she's singing songs like I'm a Prisoner of Life, um, and I think one of the other ones was To Hell With Love and, and something like that. Um, and actually, the, the Prisoner of Life, I think she sings twice. Uh, she sings it during the movie and then during the closing credits. Um, and then there are a lot of musicians that, um, you know, Annie Ross uh, and Laurie Singer, um, they are they're musicians in real life. And then... Uh, Lyle Lovett is in here. Huey Lewis is in here. Tom Waits is in here. So there's a bunch of other singers in this cast. So uh, clearly music is, is has an influence on this one. Yeah, and the soundtrack has some cool stuff. It's like all of a sudden, wow, I'm listening to some good tunes here. This yeah, is good. Absolutely. You know? All right. Um, synopsis for this one. In a world where fate plays cruel tricks, Andy McDowell, Bruce Davison, Jack Lemon, and Julianne Moore navigate a web of chaotic connections. Their lives, their secrets, their shortcuts collide in this Robert Altman masterpiece where every choice has a consequence. I'm gonna like somebody. Where are you going, Gene? This is the third night this week, Gene! Going further. He's playing around, I can smell it on him. 
was born to be free. Can we have a little more butter, please? Coming up. Yeah. I came home, I told Earl, our whole life could change. Earl tells me to go on a diet. I'll find a way to keep well, This house is half mine, yeah, you know. Is that a joke? Lady, I work 16 hours a day to make ends meet. Yeah. I bake all night and work <laughs> oh, all day. I thought you made phone calls at night. I said, Ola, if I have one more beer, I'm going to have to take a nap. And she says, I wondered what it would take to get you into bed. Do you think he's attractive? Who? He kissed you, didn't he? I want to know the truth. We're just talking, right? Yes, Marion, we're just talking. How long are you going to do that? Do you know what time it is? To hell with love. To hell with love. Forget what other people do when it comes to me and you. To hell with love. Can I do something wrong, officer? Take your sunglasses off now. One more question. How many clowns can you fit in this car, man? When it comes to you and me, that's the way it's gonna be. If you share my point of view, I'm the woman made for you. When it comes to push a shove, if you're holding out for love. These are strange people, honey. Yeah, hell with love. All right. Uh, real quick, the actress whose name I did not have in the credits there was Lily Taylor, um, and she was in. She will be in Rudy uh, that we're going to be doing here pretty soon. Um, but she was also she played Honey Bush, which is um, the husband of Robert Downey Jr.'s character, and uh, sounds like a, a James Bond uh, character. But she was also in Born yes. on the Fourth of July, Say Anything, and Mystic Pizza. Hmm. So, um, okay. So let's start off with the, we've got the major moments here. I, this one was a bit of a challenge because there's so much going on in this movie and it's so intertwined that trying to narrow it down to like the 10 major moments of the movie was a, a bit of a challenge. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing you do this. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you what I got here. So we start the movie off with the helicopters. And, and I will say that, as we've said before, this, this is based on the writings of Raymond Carver. And it does take uh, about nine of his short stories and kind of winds some of the stories together. Um, they were not written that way. So the short stories were not written to have a shared universe with each other. Um was not written so that the doctor in one scene would be the, you know, uh, guy hosting the cookout in another and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So there are, if you were to read these stories, you could almost take these characters and just completely split them up so it doesn't cut back and forth between their different scenes that are going on. Um, and, and some things are, you know, changed quite a bit. But the beginning and the end... Um, so the beginning, we have a bunch of helicopters that are spraying for medflies. Uh, this fleet of helicopters kind of reveals the characters along their flight path as they're flying over, kind of setting the scene and, and introducing the ensemble cast. Um, and then we'll end the movie with an earthquake. Now, the, the helicopters spraying and the earthquake, 
None of that ever happens in the Raymond Carver stories. Those are just kind of the bookends that Robert Altman decides to use to try to tie everything together. Hmm. Uh, just major, trying to tie the room together. Is it really tied the room together. Uh, what is this? Uh, I can tell that you are not a golfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wyman and Kane dinner date. So Dr. Ralph Wyman and wife Marion meet Stuart and Claire Kane um, at Zoe Trainer's cello concert and spontaneously plan a Sunday dinner date, setting up a little bit of a potential tension there because um, I'm not sure that anybody's really excited to go do this. And uh, oddly enough, Alex Trebek shows up in this movie with all the rest of the ensemble cast. Uh, everybody's, yeah. everybody's like, is, is that Alex Trebek? <laughs> Your Canadian pawns. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's S words, Mr. Connery. S words. I'll take shortcuts. This guy reads for- from a card. <laughs> I'll take shortcuts for 800. Um. <laughs> Gene's affair, uh, philandering cop Gene is having an affair with Betty Weathers, adding another layer of complexity to this network of relationships. Uh, Gene, the cop, is uh, and, and seems to be always on the prowl for uh, the next uh, ex, Mrs. Um, whatever Mrs. his last Gene name the is. Cop. <laughs> Miss Gene the cop, yeah. Uh, then there is Casey's accident. Casey's a little boy. Casey Finnegan is running to school and is hit by Doreen's car but appears fine initially. Um, He ends up walking home, and his parents later find him uh, semi-unconscious at home and take him to the hospital, where he then slips into a coma. There is the storyline of the estranged father. Uh, Howard's estranged father, Paul, visits them in the hospital when Casey is there, and there are some old tensions that kind of bubble to the surface, um, which are kind of brought to light while they're having this conversation. There is a discovery of a body while uh, some some guys, I think three guys, are out fishing. Stuart and his friends find a young woman's body while fishing, and they decide to continue fishing and plan to report it later because, eh, I mean, fishing, apparently, is the higher priority rather than reporting a murder. As, as apparently you do in this universe. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Choice, you know, it's... Uh-huh choices lots of choices um stormy's destruction of uh, betty's house uh stormy destroys betty's belongings um and uh kind of like like i said a lot of this stuff is kind of mixed in together so he spends most of his time destroying her belongings uh this poor vacuum salesman comes along and says hey she's uh betty has won a free cleaning not realizing that what he's walking into um that he's going to have his work cut out for him. Uh, Bill is a makeup artist, and he's needing to take some photos of his wife uh, in order to, um, you know, to practice or, or to get a job. Um, and so he's having her, you know, made up to look like she's been beaten and murdered, and he's taking photos of her. Um, this will come back in a little bit of a funny moment later where the three guys that were out fishing had taken photos of the dead body in the water, and then he has the photos taken of his wife all done up with the makeup and, and what looks like a knife in her in her side and everything else, and they go to the photo mat, and they accidentally get the photos mixed up um, so that uh, Bill thinks that these people are super creepy because they have these weird 
photos of her, you know, beaten and stabbed and everything. They think he's creepy because he has photos of a dead body in the water, and uh, they trade their photos, and everybody awkwardly runs off and memorizes each other's license plate numbers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the dinner party. The Wymans and the Canes have a heavily alcohol-fueled dinner party uh, where there are some tensions uh, that come up as part of that. The fish is burned. Um, because we we are accidentally calculating based on off of the inches of length and not the inches of thickness uh, of how much we cook the fish. Um, prior to this dinner party, there was a bit of a blow up with the Wymans as they are talking through a, an affair that uh, the wife had had years before at a drunken party that they had. Um, so there's a bit of a shouting match there, um, and uh, some innovative use of a hairdryer. Um, I do believe in that scene. Yeah. So. Yep. So yes, um, I I really thought the uh, really thought the acting was on fire in that scene. Yeah. Um. So Casey's death and Zoe's suicide. There are some sad moments towards the end of this movie. Uh, Casey, who had been in the coma for most of the movie, um, seems to wake up, but then suddenly dies. Um. And then obviously the parents are upset about that and very distraught. Uh, earlier on, they had been receiving some harassing phone calls from, they don't know who it's from, but it happens to be the baker because it was Casey's birthday and they had ordered a cake and the baker was upset because he's calling to make sure they come pick up the cake and they basically tell him what he can go do to himself and he gets upset because he has worked hard for this and expects to be paid and does not know what has happened to this family. Uh, Zoe, the cello player, um, she ends up, uh, you know, kind of because of her relationship with her mother or lack thereof, um, and the fact that her father also had died, um, I think it's implied or told because of alcoholism or drug abuse or something like that, um, Zoe actually ends up committing suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. She locks herself or closes herself in the garage and leaves the car running. Um, and then the earthquake at the end of the movie, kind of to wrap things up, uh, Jerry, during a picnic, uh, he and Bill leave um, to kind of follow these young girls who were on a couple of bikes. They leave their families and go follow these couple of girls that were on bikes because Bill, I don't know if he actually thinks he's going to do anything or not, but he takes his buddy with him uh, and says, hey, I, I really think those girls want us to go with them. Uh, let's take a couple of beers and, and let's go. And uh, Jerry, who, how can I say this, has been somewhat frustrated uh, throughout the movie because of his wife's profession uh, as a 900 number operator. He uh, has to spend most of his days when he's not cleaning pools um, listening to her talk to other men on the phone, and I think he's feeling a little neglected and uh, wonders why she didn't talk to him that way. And so this actually comes out at the end of the movie where he somehow gets it in his mind that because uh, this this um, teenage girl had accidentally spilled some beer on her shirt and started to take it off, that she wanted more from him than just a beer. And when she refuses, he bashes her in the head and kills her. And uh, luckily for him, I guess, there happens to be an earthquake at exactly that time. So we find out kind of later that her death was, sounds like her death was blamed on the earthquake. And we kind of see our characters dealing with the earthquake uh, and kind of as they're writing it out and, and for some, you know, a 
possibly a resolution to their story, some no resolution at all to their story, and that's where we end everything. Hmm. Do you think I hit most of it? Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't like seeing what happens to that kid, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, no. All right. It's time, I, I don't know how deeply we're going to think about this one, but, I mean, I definitely have thoughts, so we'll, we'll get into that, but... I think it's time for some deep thoughts. And now, deep thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's very deep. Thank you. All right. Um... I'm assuming that for most of, uh, for the two of you, this is the first time you've seen this movie? Well, yes. First for me. Okay. All right. Um, let, yeah, let's just do it. Did you like the movie? Meh. <laughs> I mean, there yeah. were parts that I chuckled at, but yeah. that's because I'm a sick son of a bitch. Well, you know. I mean, yes, <sighs> but. But we still love you, Bo. And I appreciate that. I do. I'm forced to agree with Admiral Cartwright. Mm-hmm. The, I just, I don't know. I'm not going to rail on the movie. Like, I, I'm trying to turn over that new leaf and not be a yum yucker and all that kind of thing. But, yeah, I just, I mean, incredible list of actors and actresses and brought this story to life. Um. I love the way the story was intertwined and kind of would hand off that, okay, well, the doctor in this scene is the guy in this scene and is the this and that and the other thing. Um, I can't say that I found any redeeming qualities with the characters, and so much of it was so disturbing. I just, I really struggled a lot. Uh, I really struggled a lot with the, uh, with this, with this film. So. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, there was, there was some really, you know, well done pieces of it and interesting things in it and, and all that. But, uh, yeah, I just did not like any of the characters. Yeah. I have seen this movie before. Uh, this is the second right. time I have watched this movie. I watched this movie once in college. And at the time when I watched it, it was like, huh all right, I feel like this is a very, seems like a very California movie. Seems like Mm. a very L.A. kind of movie. And I'm not from L.A. Um, And I don't know, like, there are are writers, um, there are writers and there are movies that are very much about the L.A. aesthetic and the L.A. neuroses, and things like that, and I feel like this is very much the kind of, I don't know, it, it's it's very much got like an L.A. kind of California kind of neurotic feel to it for a lot of these characters. Um, you know, the, the actors are, the actors are great. Like this, like, like you guys have said, the actors are great. The actors are awesome. Um, huge cast and, and just amazing people in this cast. 
uh, when I watched this in college, because um, this was the little, this was a little video store that you could go on like a, a Friday or a Saturday, and and like on the weekend, it's like, you know, any movies from this shelf are fifty cents a piece for for the whole weekend. I'm like, well, okay, I know what I'm doing this weekend, um, and so this was one of those movies that I think I picked up. Um, either because I had just, I'd read something about Robert Altman or I was, you know, just, you know, picking movies from a particular year or, you know, it, it had a particular actor in it. Um, this might've even been when I started on kind of a Tim Robbins stretch of watching movies. Um, cause I would have watched Shawshank around this time and Hudsucker Proxy and, you know, some of those. So I don't recall exactly why, but I, I rented this one, watched it and I, I thought, okay. Interesting movie, um, you know, a lot of, you know, seeing the intertwining of, that was the interesting part at the time, was like, oh yeah, this is kind of interesting, all the intertwining of the different characters, and, uh, you know, it's it's a little, a little teeny tiny Pulp Fiction in there, where like somebody in somebody's storyline is showing up in somebody else's storyline, and like, okay, that's kind of cool, that's kind of cool, that's interesting. Um, and then, after that, I had taken a couple of different classes in college, and had read some Raymond Carver stories, and absolutely fell in love with his writing. And so he is, he is my favorite author. Um, and so I have read all of his short stories at this point. I have some different collections of his short stories. And um, I, I used to, the, the irony is because he had a, a bit of a drinking problem uh, while he was alive. I also am not well known for taking care of plants because I either tend to water them not enough, or most times I actually end up watering them too much, uh, and they die because mm -hmm. of that. So when I got my first classroom, uh, when I first started teaching, I got a little plant for my classroom. It was a little ponytail palm tree, and because I figured I probably was going to overwater it and kill it, I named it Raymond Carver. Oh, okay. So, um, and any plant that I've ever had since then is is named after other authors that I like, but, uh, Raymond Carver actually, he lasted a while. Um, okay. he, he was not, I did not overwater him. So, uh, he did fine, but, um, yeah, so no, I really enjoy Raymond Carver. So because of that, you know, coming back and watching it this time around, having now read all of Raymond Carver's stories at least once, uh, and many multiple times coming back to this movie now, um, asking the question, do I like this movie? I can emphatically say no, not at all. Okay. <laughs> like I, there are moments like you guys have said, like there are moments where there are funny moments. So if I can, for the, for the moments where I can in my mind, divorce this from the Raymond Carver stories, if I could just mm -hmm. say, let me watch this as a movie and ignore the parts that come from my favorite stories that I just, you know, I, I can't watch those scenes or I can't enjoy those scenes because I feel like they have been butchered so badly. Um, there are there are good parts to this movie. And, and there are, you know, the some of the stories and some of the, you know, some of the little segments here and there, some of the funny bits, um, those are totally fine. And if it was a movie that was not advertised as based on the ratings of Raymond Carver and if it was not, you know... So obviously Robert Altman saying, Hey, I read some Raymond Carver and I met Raymond Carver and I am working with his widow and we're going to make a movie based on his writings. Cause I love his writings. I watched this movie and I just, I sit there and I go, 
this is why it's so interesting that different people can read something completely different out of an author because mm-hmm. I look at this I, I, in, in articles, in, in interviews that I've read, um, Altman was convinced that Raymond Carver would love this. And Raymond Carver's widow was convinced that Ray would have loved this. And mm. I'm sitting here going, I mean, I've read his stories and I, I know what I get out of his stories and, and my understanding of his stories. And I watch this movie and I go, I don't like this at all. Like, I, I feel like you have completely missed the point on these characters. Mm-hmm. Like Raymond Carver, when I read Raymond Carver's stories, it actually renews some of my faith in humanity. Whereas I watch this movie and I feel like if I watch this movie and took it too seriously, I would lose all my faith in humanity. Right. Which is funny because I've, I've, I've heard other people, I've heard other people who have read Raymond Carver and they're like, yep, I read Raymond Carver and it made me lose my faith in humanity. And I'm like, really? Are we reading the same stories? Cause that is the exact opposite of what I get from it. So, you know, I'll, I'll shut up and, and let you guys talk a little bit, but I mean, that's kind of my, my thing with this one is I love these stories so much in particular. And I'll talk a little bit more about this here in, in just a bit. Um, I cannot stand the scenes in this movie related to uh, related to the case, uh, the character of Casey and the uh, Baker, um, the Lyle Lovett Baker character. I, I, I absolutely hate those scenes. Hmm because that is one of my favorite stories of his. It's called A Small Good Thing. And when I watch this rendition of that story, it, there is no heart to I, I I don't see any heart to it at all. I, there's no heart and soul in that, whereas I think that's one of his most powerful stories. Um, and just the, the feeling you get after reading that story and how that story resolves itself Um I cannot stand how that was handled in this movie. Mm. So I was, if, if I was an editor, I would just cut all those parts out because I cannot stand it. I think it's, I think it was a terrible, terrible version of that. So, and that's part of my problem with a lot of this is the way the characters are handled. Um, do you, I was going to ask you guys, do you have in terms of, cause there's a lot of different storylines going on in here. Of all the different storylines, of all the different groups of characters, do you have one that you kind of latched on to the most? You're like, all right, well, some of these others, I can't stand these people, but I really like these characters. Did you have a storyline or a set of characters that you you connected with? Mm. Oh, go ahead. That's Pat's way of saying no. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough one because... I feel like I feel like there were moments I connected with maybe, but as characters, it was really hard because they were all they all had moments of just why. Mm-hmm. They, they were even the you know even the. Even the family who you feel for because their kid got hit with a car isn't exactly sympathetic at times. And that's rough to say, but it's true. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I'd be hard pressed to find a a group that I think I identified with. Yeah, I I got nothing. And I mean, yeah, I, I really that's that's my struggle with the movie. I I I really have no character that I can relate to. Um, so I'll just go back to saying like, what do I relate to? Uh, well, great acting that brought these vile characters to life. I mean, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was a three hour, five minute movie. You know, I was just sitting there watching them. I was, Oh man, I don't want to say entertained, but the time flew by. It wasn't like I was looking at my watch. I was like, Oh, what yeah. are you going to do next? What's, you know, but that is that's a very good point. What crazy is this guy gonna do now? You know? Mm-hmm. There were parts that I laughed at. I mean yeah. the cop, the bike cop that was always telling his wife just how dangerous and how rough it was and the stuff I see. Yeah. He was <laughs> he was great because he was just and she was just like, uh-huh. And then that one time when she just busted out laughing at him, she's like, yeah. Oh, you actually believe that he was like, now, if you don't care about kids that are on crack, (laughs) yeah, I don't even want to say it in front of the children. C R A C K. Yeah. I mean, that was great. I mean, he's delivering that with all the intensity of Vincent Hanna in, um, um, heat. I got dead bodies on a sidewalk, Justine. I mean, it's classic, but he's delivering all that, but all he does is ride around on his motorcycle. Yeah. I mean, that's, that kind of cracked me up. Yeah. And, and accosting female clowns. Right. Uh, Yeah. That did not crack me up. Worst pickup line ever. So how many clowns can you fit in this car? Mm Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of, if you've seen um, Wreck-It Ralph 2, yeah. where Zangief is sitting there, spoilers, and he says, we're bad guys, but we're not bad guys. This is the opposite. They're really not bad guys, but they're bad guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, I, like you guys have said, there are moments in this movie, there are funny moments in this movie. Um, you know, there are the, the scene where I, I chuckle a little bit in the scene where the, you know, vacuum salesman comes over and he's thinking, yeah, I'll just, you know, vacuum and, and, uh, shampoo this carpet and maybe they'll buy a vacuum from me. And he walks in and it's this complete disaster that, first of all, that's a little bit funny because, uh, was it stormy weathers? The, the ex-husband has been cutting everything up all day with like a chainsaw and scissors and, and everything else. Um, and, and all of his efforts to destroy the home suddenly out of the blue, somebody comes to clean it all up before the ex-wife even gets home. So to mm-hmm. me, that part is funny. Cause it's like, all right, so they're undoing everything he has spent, you know, all the revenge, all the rewenge that he has spent <laughs> the entire day trying to exact is now going to get cleaned up by this vacuum salesman and poor vacuum salesman. Cause he doesn't know what he's walking into. So that part was funny. Uh, the part with the mixed up photos at the photo mat, I thought that was kind of funny because mm-hmm. they're like looking at each other like, 
wait a minute. This is weird. What's, what's this is, happening this is here? Disturbing. This is what is, um, you know, the scenes. While you obviously wouldn't want this happening around real children, uh, the scenes where uh, you know the one wife is uh, doing her work on the telephone, and mm-hmm. it's like while she's she's doing her work on the telephone while like changing her kids' diapers or you know picking the lint out from between her toes or you know things like this she's like reading a magazine or talking to her husband or making dinner or all these other things um you know i just there there are different scenes in this where there are funny little things that happen but unfortunately for an over 3 hour movie a f- very small handful of haha funny scenes does not make up for me watching this movie and going, this is not, when I read Raymond Carver, this is not the characters that I get out of that. Um, you know, Raymond Carver, so I'll, I'll do, let's let's go to school here for just a second. Um, so Raymond Carver, I think was, I think you could say he was pretty heavily influenced by Anton Chekhov. And he, much like Chekhov, um, there's this kind of economy of language where they both find a way to create very filled out and vivid and relatable characters with, you know, a a lack of prose, Um, you know, leaving the reader to kind of fill in the blanks on your own and become more involved in the narrative. Like that's one of the hallmarks of minimalism is you don't have these just sweeping paragraphs of description uh, you kind of you do what you can to let the reader fill in the fill in the blanks. Um, okay. It's it's like filling in the dino DNA with the frog DNA. Um, <laughs> there you go. A little bit like that. And one of the things that one of the things I love about Raymond Carver's work and what what appeals to me most is how he handles those characters. So Pat, what you were saying is like, you know, I uh, might be bad guy, but I'm not bad guy. Is his characters are that oftentimes they are just, they're people like you and me. Like they are mm-hmm. everyday people. They're, they're not super wealthy people. Um, you know, they're not, uh, you know, they're not in unrealistic economic statuses or jobs or things like that. It's, and they're, they're dealing with everyday struggles. You know, it's not science fiction. It's not historical epics. It's everyday struggles. It's maybe relationship trouble. It's financial stress or jobs, um, dealing with addiction. Um, it really is kind of digging into the human condition and kind of drawing out what are those universal elements of our human experience. What do we all have in common, regardless of where you are and where you you know what your status is? What do we all have in common? And mm-hmm. oftentimes his stories are. They're very, there's, there's kind of a raw honesty to them. Um, the stories are complex, um, but it's also like you really get into these people's lives in a very sometimes ambiguous way, like in a lot of okay. his stories. And I, and I feel like, I, I don't want to say I've read as much Chekhov, um, but I feel like both of them, Chekhov and Carver, um, the endings don't always tie everything up neatly. Like they're, especially Raymond Carver, like they don't tie up neatly. They're kind of left open. They're left unresolved a lot of times. Um, And I really think that that's, he's, he's trusting the readers to 
kind of figure that out for themselves the way it is with the rest of his writing. He kind of leaves that up to, you know, you, you figure out based on what I've shared with you so far, I'm ending the story here based on what I've shared. Mm -hmm. You figure out where you think the characters are going from here. Um, okay. And I think he, he walks a fine line between um, humor and tragedy. Like, I think there are moments, there are moments in even the story, a small good thing. Like there are little moments of humor um, but it's a story about a kid being hit by a car, falling into a coma, and dying. So I think even in those stories, he does have a good mixture of you know being able to bring out an appropriate level of humor, um, even if the story is a tragic one. So, I mean, that's kind of... Based on how he treats his characters, like none of his characters, I, I would say there are no villains in there, there are no heroes and there are no villains in a Raymond Carver story. There are just people, you know, there's, mm -hmm. what was the, uh, what was the line in tombstone? Uh, there's no, there's no perfect life. Why? There's just life. Mm -hmm. And that's basically the, mm -hmm. the characters in a Raymond Carver story. There's no heroes. There's no villains. There's just humans. And sometimes the humans say and do wonderful things. And sometimes humans say and do really stupid things. Um, or, or seemingly downright evil things. But even if somebody does something that is cruel, um, that person is not necessarily... I don't think you would ever see that character as... I don't think you could call them a cruel character. Like, they are a character who said something cruel. Um, but I think it, it kind of walks a fine line to not saying well then that's just that's how that person is that person said something that is mean and, and mean-spirited and well that's just 100 percent who they are and i think most of his characters and most of his stories you, you wouldn't get that you would say wow I, I mean in this other part he he seemed like kind of a nice guy i'm kind of surprised he'd say that and then later in the story he'd say something else that would make you think like oh okay well i mean I've, that seems a little off color for him to say something like that but he seems a decent person in the rest of the story, you know, not a great person, but at least a decent person. So I think that's one of the things about this movie that really frustrates me is there are characters that are treated as such well-rounded characters in, in such a short amount of pages that you have an over three hour movie and you can't capture that. Well, and some of the actions that are displayed are pretty bad. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, tearing up, tearing up the couch and well, but you know, that's like the one guy I'm trying to think of, you know, and the cop was kind of a, you know, having an affair and all that kind of stuff. I would think the worst one was the three fishermen. Yeah. Because that, I mean, all these characters are, see, in a, in a Raymond Carver story, I would say that the characters can be selfish, but in this movie, they all come across as being self-absorbed. Like, like if you could have a mm -hmm. next tier up from selfish, that's what these people seem like. And I don't feel like they would be that way in the, in the short story. Okay. The one that the one that bothers me the most, and I mentioned this before, the the one that bothers me the most because it is one of my absolute favorite stories of his is based on the story A Small Good Thing, 
And it's the story. Mm-hmm. Um, in the story, the boy's name is Scotty, not Casey. And the mom goes to the to the baker and has a is going to have a birthday cake made. And um, she, you get a little bit of her. And I, I feel like, I feel like you know, Annie McDowell is playing. You know, her character is just. It just seems like she's so flighty, and she's just not. Like she's almost not even a, a three dimensional person. Um, she's yeah. almost like a caricature of a person. And in the story, the mom is trying to, as she goes into the the, the bakery, um, she's trying to imagine what this baker's life is like. She's like, you know, this uh, he's a little bit of an older man, and and he looks a little rough around the edges. And um, I wonder what his life is like. Like I wonder what I mean. It's it's all about connecting with other people. Um, I mean, that's a lot of what the story is about. It's about loneliness and connecting with other people and dealing with tragedy and, and things like that. And, and a lot of, a lot of Raymond Carver stories, and especially that one, there is kind of this like underlying quiet desperation, uh, in everything. And I feel like in this movie, everything that should have been quiet desperation got into, got just transformed into a neurotic mess of people you can't stand um and in the short story i mean the baker when you get to the end of it you know the the baker and the the phone calls are you know even a little bit more cryptic in the story you know he calls up and he's like have you forgotten about scotty don't you care about scotty and you know he doesn't come out right away and and say well this is a cake for you know scotty's birthday um he just he calls and he's just not he's kind of socially awkward when he makes these phone calls and he's like, what about Scotty? Don't you care about Scotty? Have you forgotten about Scotty? And the mother and the father are both answering these calls when they've left the hospital and they've gone home feeling guilty that they didn't stay at the hospital and, and be by the bedside, you know, 24 seven all the time. So there's a different level to the harassing phone calls. And when it finally gets to the end, there's this beautiful scene where they go to the bakery, they confront the guy and he basically apologizes and says, I am so sorry. I, I'm alone. Like, I don't have anybody. I work here all the time. The way I give back to the world is to make bread and make things to feed people because people need food. And I'm, I'm sorry. I, I work all the time. I, I don't know how to talk to people. I'm, I don't have friends. I, I don't this. And, and they just sit and he gives them bread and they eat the bread and it, it's, while it's still minimalist, it's descriptive enough that it's like, first of all, I just want to go eat some bread right now because uh, that sounds really, really good. But then there's this whole part about, you know, you've got to, you know, your child has died and, and, and I'm so sorry for anything that I said and I can't bring your child back, but you've got to eat something. So here, have have some bread. Let me feed you uh, because, you know, eating is a small good thing in a time like this. And it's just, it's such a beautiful end to the story where then they have this connection with this baker and everybody they've lost a child, but they've gained this connection with this baker by the end of the story. And it's such a wonderful story and it just gets so glossed over in this movie. And I think that's what made me mad enough that I, it, it colored the rest of any enjoyment I might have of the movie because I enjoy that story so much and what that story, you know, how I read that story every single time I've read it. Um, and it just is handled so poorly in this movie that it just, it makes me kind of angry. No, I, I can hear you. I hear you on that. And that's where, 
it kind of cycles back to my first question. Like, what was he trying to accomplish with this movie? Yeah. Like, what am I, what am I missing? You know, I feel like this is a movie that if you can just explain it to me, maybe I'll like it a little bit more yeah. beyond the acting was great. The way the story was written was um, the, the way the different characters intertwined was, was great. But yeah, it's just, it was like you said in your text, I didn't see any redeeming qualities with these characters. They were all just mean and snarky. And, and, and I, I guess I can understand on a, a surface level, like, well, Hey, that's sometimes that's life and that's people. And okay. But where are the good times? Mm-hmm. You know, I, and if there are no good times, okay, then I'm going back to, then what are you trying to tell us with a movie? Cause I tend to look at movies as, okay, maybe I want to escape, you know, I, Oh, head scratcher. Yeah. Definitely a head scratcher. Well, do we until we before we get into three questions, do we have anything else we want to say about this one? Or I, I mean, if somebody wants to watch this, I mean, it is. I think it for for what it is and what it contributes to film. Um, you know, I think it's one that I think it's one you should watch. I think because I I almost feel like is this one in the Criterion Collection? It is. Yeah, I was trying to figure some of that out. I was like, but. Well, it's on the list of a thousand and one movies to see before you die. It's in the Criterion Collection. It I, was nominated for Best Director. Critics love it. Yeah, uh, I think Ebert gave it four out of four stars. Wow. Yeah. Don't see it. Yeah. But but you know if if this is your type of movie, you know you may like it. I you know. Yeah. You know, I probably would have less. Plan to watch it in stages. It's long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I probably would have less issues with it if it wasn't, if it wasn't, quote unquote, based on the writings of Raymond Carver. Mm-hmm. I think that's my biggest problem with it. I think I would be more okay with the movie um, if it because I remember I didn't hate it when I watched it the first time, and that was before I had read a lot of Raymond Carver. So I, I watched it that time. And I mean, it gave me some, it gave me some Pulp Fiction vibes. It gave me some other, you know, other similar type movies. Um, but now that I've read the quote unquote source material, um, it just, it makes me frustrated that I spent three hours doing that instead of reading the stories. Which I did anyway. Like after I was done watching the movie, I went back and read all the stories and I finished reading all the stories this is based on in less than two hours. <laughs> so you you could probably do an audiobook of these stories in less than three hours and seven minutes. I'd be interested to read through Spielberg's review. Spielberg God, listen to me. Um, Ebert. um Ebert, thank you. Uh, Ebert's uh review just to hear his explanation for well this is this and this is that you know why four stars just when that so seemingly just missed for me mm-hmm. um and again like if someone can explain it you know i might be the guy suddenly saying hey guys you know what we got to give this a second look it was the greatest thing ever i mean it even had a motorcycle but i just i'll uh, 
that'll be the first thing I do when we, when we sign off is I want to go check it out and have some, because initial reactions, it just was, Ooh, boy. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a line or two from Ebert's four out of four stars review. He says, Los Angeles always seems to be waiting for something. Permanence seems out of reach. Some great apocalyptic event is on the horizon and people view the future tentatively. Robert Altman's shortcuts captures that uneasiness perfectly in its desperate and the character is inarticulate, but the group portrait, or no, no, hold on, uh, uh, captures that uneasiness perfectly in its interlocking stories about people who seem trapped in the present, always juggling. Okay, well, so I mean, what that what that says to me is, I guess I have to live in Los Angeles to understand it. Well, I, are you saying that I need to die to understand your insights on death? I, you know, I like. Okay, I mean, no one's asking Pat Cangallo to. Well, I shouldn't I, say no one. I mean, I'm there's asking. some people listen. Yeah, you're asking. I care. I care. <laughs> well, okay, but. So we're uneasiness and that's why there's infidelity and that's why there's kids getting hit by cars. And like, I mean, you know, during the cold war movie set in the cold war during the Cuban missile crisis, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. did you see those things happening? I mean, you know, the movie that we were talking about last week, we referenced um, courtroom drama and so forth in the Pelican brief. Mm-hmm. And uh, was that just last week we were talking about the movie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and then we referenced Aaron Brockovich and there you got a situation where he had an entire town where people were falling uh, very ill. And, you know, and that gets into the movie Aaron Brockovich that we talk about in a year or so. And, and they were trying to deal with the situation there and, you don't get this with the townspeople where, uh, you know, they're all fighting and uneasy, you know, and they're dealing with a real threat. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I buy that to explain why some of the characters were doing what they were doing. You reminded me of something I wanted to nitpick just a little bit, too, in terms of the, the like, filming the cinematography mm-hmm. of it. Um, mm-hmm. The scene where I keep wanting to call him Scotty. Cause that's what he's called in the story. Uh, Casey, the scene where Casey gets hit by the car mm-hmm. and I did back it up and I rewatched it like three times. Not, not like from morbid curiosity. Um, but I did watch the scene where he gets hit by the car like three, at least three times because the car is driving along and Casey runs across the street and the way the camera is angled, you can actually see, under the car and several feet in front of it, when when you hear the sound and see Casey like fly away from the car, you should have been able to see his feet underneath the car, you know, from the, you know, because you should have been able to see he was so close. If he would have hit the car, you should have been able to see his feet underneath the car when he got hit. And yet he was nowhere near the car when it got hit. And then you see when Lily Tomlin gets out of the car and goes running, she has to go running like, several feet in front of her car, like more than what he would have flown. Um, and so like, it just, it was kind of funny. It was like, Oh yeah, somebody didn't catch that. I should have been able to see the kid's feet if he was actually getting hit by the car. Yeah. I, I didn't know he got hit by the car. Yeah. Like I watched the next 
10 minutes of the movie and I'm just like, Oh, she just saw him. I thought he just turned on the sidewalk and spilled. Yeah. You know, like I, I was just like, no, it was a, it was a car collision that was kind of like the uh, Luke Skywalker force kick in uh, return of the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. I like force kicks. I, I do too. I like, I like the Wizard of, Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, I think it's probably time for three questions. Mm-hmm. One question for every hour of the movie. There you go. Yeah. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Uh, real quick before I, before I ask the three questions. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, I will have already gone on my real quick little like two day trip to Denver. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just thought I would share with you, gentlemen. I am super excited for several reasons to be going to Denver because, uh, first of all, and and our good friends on the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast will appreciate this one as well. Um, I did learn they have Torchy's Tacos in Denver. Mm. Torchy's Tacos. So I, I will be frequenting the i'm only there for like a couple of days that means i can get one two three four it's my understanding there would be no math on the podcast but i'm probably going to be there several times for different meals um oh yeah so that's happening uh the other thing is i this is like if if a seven-year-old could have a bucket list uh seven-year-old john reading comic books and in the back of his some of his marvel comic books some of his x-men and Spider-Man comics would see these ads for this apparently warehouse-sized comic book store that is in Denver, Colorado, called Mile High Comics. Mm, um, guess. Little Little John was always mm-hmm. like, "Wow, can um, can we go there, please? Like, I want to. I want to. I see the pictures. I want to go to the place." Um, and I was looking this up, and they have. I don't know if, if it's all completely on the premises. Um, supposedly they have an inventory of about 10 million comics. Um, they are roughly the size of a whole foods, uh, grocery store. And I am going to find a way to just set aside at least a few hours, uh, just to go to this place. So I am, I will, awesome. by the time this episode comes out, I will have already gone there. Um, and I will have no money left when I get back. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm a little excited about that. You want to know another place you could spend a lot of money in Denver that you love? Ooh, tell me. You ever heard of the Tattered Cover Bookstore? I looked that one up too, yes. Oh, goody. Uh, and yes. there was a, there's a music store there too. I forget what the music store is called, but... Yep. Yeah. It's It sounded very much like a... Because um, I, I love Waterloo Records in Austin, Texas. And this sounds very much like a, a Waterloo Records. I, I forget what it was called, but... <laughs> I, th- I wish I could remember the name of the used bookstore I went to when I was out there years and years ago. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Okay. I picked up, I was maybe just before high school. I picked up the original Han Solo trilogy out oh, there. Yeah. 
Oh, that was good stuff. Mm-hmm. Hut's Gambit, Star's End. Yeah. Oh, so good. Those are good ones. All right. Question number one of the three questions. Who is your favorite fiction author? Clancy. Okay. I think you took mine. Ah, Daily Double. <laughs> I think we got a Daily pew, Double. Pew, 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 pew. Um, all right. Very cool. Uh, do you have a favorite book by Clancy? Either one of you? Ooh. I really like the depth of Clear and Present Danger. Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite story is Red October. Okay. Or no, not, gosh, I not Clear and Present Danger. Some of all fears. Mm, okay. Yeah. Some of all yeah. fears is the one with the economy and the nuclear bomb. You know, I really, I mean, how do you, like, how do you say anything against Hunt for Red October? It's Indeed. amazing. Um, Red Storm Rising was intriguing. Yes. Um, I was always partial to Patriot Games. Nice. Um, and I know as the books went on, you know, some of the stories got a little bit, well, I, I shouldn't say got a little bit because, you know, like the way Jack Ryan became, well, I don't know, spoilers for Tom Clancy novels. But, you know, like the whole, the way he became president kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you'd say that's far-fetched, but then that became eerily not far-fetched. Right. Um, but all the Rainbow Six stuff i i thought that was pretty cool um boy how do you pick up a favorite tom clancy i i don't know i really like patriot games and hunt for it october i suppose and i think we know john since he's already proclaimed it mm-hmm. at the start of the podcast. Yeah, I've pretty much mm-hmm. already said that. Um, yeah, so in terms of like similar writers, because, yeah, Raymond Carver is my absolute favorite. Um, two of my favorite stories of his, I've already said the one, A Small Good Thing, the one that the character of, you know, Scotty and his parents and the baker are kind of based off of. Um, that is probably my one of my favorite stories of his, if not the favorite. The other one is called Cathedral, um, and in that story, a, a husband and wife are at home. The wife has invited a coworker to come to their home and have dinner with them. And the coworker is blind. And the husband is kind of very awkward about, you know, I guess he's never really been around a blind person. So he doesn't really know how to talk to him. It doesn't know, you know, what kind of conversation to have. And he's sitting there watching TV. And on the TV is a documentary about cathedrals. And the blind man kind of asks him to describe a cathedral to him. And the, the whole story is about these, you know, two men kind of making a connection and, and all that. It's a, it's a really, really good story. Um, mm-hmm. If you're looking for anybody else who's similar to Raymond Carver, Amy Hempel has a bunch of short stories. And hers are even shorter. Like a lot of her short stories are probably less than five pages each. Um, Tobias Wolf. Uh, it was actually my, my dog, Toby, is somewhat named after uh, Tobias Wolf. Um, there you go. He's got some good ones. Uh, this Boy's Life, which was actually also made into a movie. Uh, and then there's a fun story called Bullet in the Brain. Um, 
Jay McInerney, who did uh, Bright Lights, Big City. Brett Easton Ellis, who did American Psycho and Less Than Zero. Um, Chuck Palahniuk was influenced by Raymond Carver, you know, Fight Club and, um, you know, some of those. Um, Larry Brown is another one of my favorites. If you if you like Southern fiction, Larry Brown has a lot of really good short stories. Um, so there's a lot of other ones that are fairly very similar, um, but definitely Raymond Carver is at the at the top of the list for me. Cool. Uh, so one of the stories in this movie is kind of based on a story called Collectors and features a character who is a door-to-door vacuum salesperson. If you were traveling salesperson, what would you want to be selling? Something light and easy to carry. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like Kleenex. <laughs> oh, that'd be a good one. <sighs> None of this vacuum cleaner, yeah. encyclopedia, no, 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 no. I'm I'm gonna steal my wife's idea. She took a slightly different uh, train of thought with this one, and I'm gonna steal hers. She said food truck. Oh, that's not bad. So mm-hmm. I would do that, and I would uh, yeah. I would figure out. We we decided. Uh, well, we kind of decided that uh, we might do something because of the because of the gluten allergies in our family. We might be might do something that is a gluten free, like a completely gluten free thing, but not just bakery like there's tons of gluten-free bakeries but like actual food like real people food that's not just bread um that would be gluten-free so uh, my thought would be a completely gluten-free um uh food truck that sells indian wraps Mm. i would go that route there was a food truck in springfield missouri that we used to go to all the time called london calling and they would do like British um, pastries and sausage rolls and stuff like that. It was really, really good. Hmm. Patrick, what are you selling? Probably food, like the food truck thing. I think okay. that's what I'd probably feel the most comfortable with. I, I haven't come up with a thing for a food truck. Okay. Um, maybe it could be the 30 podcast food truck and we would just you know, come by and sell like the top four meals that we talked about on the month's podcast. I could do that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We do talk about a lot of food. So I think your menu would be, you'd have a plethora of things on your menu. That's where I'm going. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, along those lines, question number three, what is your favorite bread product? Beer. (laughs) There you go. Uh, but if it has to be bread, bread, um, it doesn't have to be I like bread. a nice pumpernickel rye oh. or a dark rye bread. That's good. I like I, I like a good non bread. Good non bread. Um, a a uh, tied with non bread are um, and and I I actually tried this out um, a couple months ago now. I found the recipe because he never wrote it down, but somebody managed to get it out of him. Uh, my grandpa's cinnamon rolls. And so mm. I, I found his recipe. I was able to adapt it uh, to our the gluten-free flour that we use. Um, and it actually, I maybe used a little bit too much sugar, so I now have type 3 diabetes. Um, mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was really, really good. And it was actually pretty close to the, the way he used to do it. 
I did, I did use parchment paper rather than newspaper because I didn't want to, you know, toxify everybody with all the inks in the oven. But, you know. That's probably mm-hmm. a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite bread? I would just answer yes. Okay. I, I kind of figured you might. Mm-hmm. More bread, more better. Yep. Mm-hmm. Completely hard agree. Uh, the cheddar biscuits at uh, Red Lobster. Mm, Always yeah. a fan of those. Ooh, the breadsticks at, uh, if we're going fast food places, the breadsticks at uh, Fazoli's fast food Italian restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, they are addictive. You mentioned cinnamon rolls. The cinnamon rolls at Apple Holler. Oh, I've never had those. Oh, well. <laughs> well, then. <laughs> All right. Are you saying it's an experience I have to have? Yes, I yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, the well, ooh, the cannolis, uh, Tony cannoli, those are good. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Well, it's it's late, and I don't want to like most of the food places we're talking about are closed, so I don't want to like get anybody's hopes up. And which is right. better for all right. of our right. diabetes? It's that. True. Yes. No, so. <laughs> I don't know what it takes to get to type four, but I'm not looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this one. Uh, this and this was episode four seventy five, gents. So we are uh, we're inching ever closer to episode number five hundred. So wow, mm-hmm. we're uh, we're almost there. We'll just stay on target. Stay on target. Um, on target. Moving right along. Yep. And uh, so, if you want to find more of our episodes of our four hundred and seventy four before this episodes, uh, you can go to thirtypodcast.com where you can find all of those. Uh, if you want to join us over on Patreon, any level of support that you join us on there, uh, even even just a couple dollars, two, three dollars a month over there, you get bonus content. Uh, we have over 30 episodes of full-length bonus episodes, and we've got a bunch of the little Patreon uh, short episodes that we've done as well, and more of those come out each and every month. So uh, you will have you will have the benefits of all that if you join us over there. What we got coming up in the next few weeks or so, we're going to finish out the month of June with The Firm coming up next week. Uh, our Patreon episodes are for this month have been Disney's Robin Hood, Flashdance, and The Flash from this year. Next month is July Fun and Games. Our Patreon episodes will be From Here to Eternity, 1953. And then we'll have our Patreon shorts will be War Games from 83 and Westworld from 73. And then uh, our regular episodes for July, all the fun and games will be kind of like games and sports-related movies, Cool Runnings, The Sandlot, Rookie of the Year, and Rudy. So we have some good, good stuff coming up. Killing me, Smalls. (laughs) All right. Well, gentlemen, as always, thank you for being here with me. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Everybody go watch some good movies. Go read some good stories. And we'll see you back here next time.